We're going to finish up this mini-series on discipleship this morning. And, and I, I realize that I've been pushing you hard. And that comes from the passion that I have for Jesus. It comes from my, the urgency I feel in that we can't always do the things the way we've been doing them. It comes from what I see in our daily lives. It comes from what I see in this world. I just have to name, it comes from the concern about the political stuff and the division that's going on. It comes from the, the pain I know that many of you are living. It comes from the questions that many of you are asking. It comes from a sense of knowing that many of you in this room are suffering from the, the control of addictions. It comes from knowing that our denomination, the United Methodist Church, is in the, is, we could be a divided denomination soon over issues of sexuality and of gender. There is division in this world. And we are called to stand in the gap. We are called to be image bearers. We are called to be Jesus followers. And not from a stand up here and preach at people. But from a way that we live our life in such a way that somebody might take the time to say, how are you doing this? How are you living life when the world says your life is full of chaos and confusion, but you're persevering how what makes you or or in this case who makes it Jesus is worthy I used to I used to live in a point of from the root of rejection I was a perfectionist I was uh, striving for people's affirmation never feeling that I was worthy enough never feeling that God could love somebody like me but God delivered me. And when I began to receive the love he had for me, I began to realize that I need to live my life differently. That I need to be about being real. Claiming joy in the midst of pain. Claiming joy in the midst of sorrow. So that's where I'm coming from this morning. That's where I want to encourage you. I don't know all of your stories, but I do know that life is difficult. I know that life presents unbearable challenges at times. And I believe that Jesus is the answer. Let's go to Scripture as we look at Luke 14. We're going to spend time with that last passage today because I believe, even though I've pushed it hard with the, the commitment and the, the, uh, the calling of God, responsibility that we have as disciples, there is joy in the self-surrender. There is joy in sacrifice. I've experienced it. And I want us to try to get to Scripture this morning and see what Jesus has for us. Luke 14, starting with the 25th verse. In my Bible, the heading says, The Cost of Being a Disciple. Listen, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. They were continuing on their way to Jerusalem. And turning to him, to the large crowds, they, he said, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Hang tight. We'll figure out what that means. Verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete? Who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit for neither the soil nor the manure pile. So it's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. Well, you're saying, okay, you just said that there's joy in sacrifice and surrender. There's joy in being a follower of Christ. But I don't have a clue, some of you are saying, what Jesus means. And how can I live up to the commitment that Jesus is following. So I want to go through and talk through some of these puzzling statements that Jesus made, and it starts with verse 16. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his whole family, all of his friends, and either life itself. Well, you have to understand that this word hate is, we have a meaning in English, but in the Semitic language or the Semitic phrase where Hebrew and Arabic and Aramaic are formed, it means not hate like despise, get away, don't do anything, but it means love less. So in other words, prefer Jesus above everything and everyone else. Love your family, your friends. Love your life less than you do Jesus. Does that make sense to you? It's all about the alignment and the priorities again. So this is where, unfortunately, our English translation screws it up a bit. And we have to go back to the original and say, Okay, then I can understand what Jesus wants us to do, how he wants us to be. It's not that we don't love our family. It's not that we don't love our friends or take good care of our life. But it is an alignment or a realignment and a commitment to putting Jesus first. To me, that is a whew, because hate And Jesus, yes, Jesus hates evil. He speaks about that in Scripture. But to me, hate and Jesus aren't really synonymous. So when we think about it in the way that Jesus is asking us to enthrone him above everybody and everyone else, then I say, oh, 
okay, I will do my best. I know I'm going to mess up at times, but that is my focus. Secondly, it's, well, first of all, I need to remind you, it's all about, again, the alignment, the willingness to put Jesus first, the letting go of worldly stuff. Um, you know, in Luke 14, he talked, first of all, he was at that, that dinner with the Pharisees, and he saw right through them. He saw the, the hypocrisy, and he turned them to humility. That's what he's asking us to consider. Then last week, we looked at all of the excuses when people were, set, were asked to follow him or to go to that heavenly banquet to be in relationship with him. We identified that as humans, we all make excuses so that Jesus isn't necessarily priority in our life, but that we are putting other things first. And then today, we're finding out that he is asking us, just let me be Lord of your life. Let me be above other things. It doesn't mean that other things, your family, your friends, your loved ones are not important. It just means let's get the priority straight. Verse, um, let's see, secondly, in the middle, that whole building a tower and keep go, a king going to war with another. Well, what does that have to do with, with our being a disciple? First of all, I want to say, you know, we are not called to earn our salvation. That's where grace comes in. Grace, God bestows his grace upon us. His mercy, that meaning not giving us what we would really deserve, but the mercy, the love, and the compassion that he has for us. That is a given. So it's not about earning our salvation, but it's a stepping up to a commitment. If you're going to build a tower, if you're going to war with another king, then you're going to get your act together, and when you decide to commit to something, you're going to follow through. So this points to us as believers. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, then not only are we going to consider the alignment, but we're going to consider the commitment. Unfortunately, there are many of us in the world today that are giving Christianity, doing disservice to Christianity. Because people see us in the way we live our lives during the week, and they don't see us making the commitment of having Jesus first. That everything we do falls in line with God's truth. So we come across often as hypocrites. We come across as two-timers because people are saying to us, well, you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I see that you go to that church for an hour on the Sunday morning, but it just doesn't compute. So Jesus is asking us here, secondly, to follow through. We made a commitment. Some of us have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. How is your follow-through? Where is the alignment in your relationship with Jesus Christ? 
I go to the chiropractor. I know that when I haven't been there in a while and I'm out of whack, I'm out of alignment, I don't function well. When my truck's tires are not in alignment, it's bumpy. It is not easy to keep it going the way I want it to go. Follow through. I know I wasn't that great, but I played basketball. I was a forward. In Minnesota, we played five-man ball. It wasn't the... Anyway, I won't get into that. But when I would shoot, I learned that follow-through was really important. I'm not a golfer, but I hear that the follow-through is such an important part of the golf swing. Robert, even when you're fishing, casting, isn't there something to do with follow-through? My dad taught me that because I never mastered that. Alignment and follow-through is what Jesus is talking about here. It's the commitment. We say we're followers of Jesus Christ. Well, then are we following through with it truly? Are we living our lives in such a way that others want to know more about Jesus? And I want to add here that it's not just about our being liked and love in the world. Of course, that's the the commitment as Jesus followers. But it's also being willing to listen, being willing to receive, to be willing to spend time in relationship with other people. And that brings us to the third thing. It may seem very random, but all of a sudden at the end, I think it's verse 34, 35, Jesus throws in something about salt. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, as usual, it has everything to do with the point that Jesus is trying to make. It may seem random to us, but you have to understand that in the time of Jesus, salt was so much a part of those people's lives. They were close to the Dead Sea, which was full of salt. There was a mountain, I think it was just a few miles south of the Dead Sea, that was completely formed from salt, two different kinds of salt. Their lives, in a lot of ways, centered around salt. It was um, used for commerce and trade. It was used in their sacrifices when they made animal sacrifices to God at the altar. It was part of their daily life. It was part of their diet. I mean, They even rubbed newborn babies' bodies with salt because it cleansed and purified and and pulled the toxins out. Excuse me. Salt was a very necessary, important, and central part of their lives. So now it makes sense that Jesus would then throw in the salt comparison or the salt analogy. You see, salt for the, the people at this time symbolized purity. It symbolized uh, cleansing and purifying, disinfecting. But it also was a symbol for friendship and loyalty to one another. In fact, when they would sit down to eat together, when they would share salt, that was promising loyalty to one another, that I care for you, you are important to me, I want to hear what you have to say, and it went both ways. It went both ways. It was a reciprocity in a relationship. Um, 
Finally, salt also was a symbol of fidelity, of standing true to their world around them. Can you see now how it fits into what Jesus is calling us to be about as Jesus followers? Our alignment, our follow-through, and our, our commitment and follow-through? If we are to be salt of the earth, as Jesus says we are in Scripture, then, then how are we seasoning the life of others? But it doesn't stop there. We also have to ask ourselves then, how do we receive from them? How are we paying attention to people in relationship with us? How can they add salt, add seasoning, add preservation to our life? Jesus ends with this. If salt loses its flavor, how can it be salty again? I'm going to put it in very simple terms. Jesus is calling us, reminding us that it's all about his salt, his flavoring, his seasoning in our life. Whatever we're going through, whatever relationships we're in, whatever interactions we have, Jesus wants to be the main thing, just like salt was at that time. What's the antidote for a lukewarm or complacent or even boring life as a Christian? I believe it's Jesus. I believe that when we choose to put Jesus first in our lives, we can experience joy, even in the midst of incredible pain. And I've told you this before, but I just want to remind you that joy is not based on external circumstances. Joy is not something that comes from other people or other things. Joy is the knowing and standing firm, believing that in the midst of all that's going on, God's promise is true. That God is with us. That he has given us Jesus, his son, so that we might have life. That we might have hope. You see, a lot of us are walking around in darkness and despair. Jesus wants us through this parable to be reminded that he has paid it all and that with him we can keep on keeping on. It's not something that Jesus is asking us to do on our own. It, <clears throat> Jesus, in my opinion, is calling us to go deeper. And it's not just to do and go and be in the world. It's also taking time to be in a covenant relationship with him first so that our, the Holy Spirit can speak to the depth of who we are so that then we might be able to sit with, to listen to others, to be in covenant relationship with God and God's people. That's it. That's what we're called to be about, my friends. This morning, as we go forth into the, the last song in a time of prayer and worship, 
I am just going to encourage you. You know, we're, a lot of you are faced with a lot of things. School's starting, some of you are moving, going to college, some of you are, are in the midst of not even knowing, as I prayed, whether Jesus exists, Jesus is real. You do, some of you don't know where your relationship with God is. Some of you are in a high point of your life, some of you are not. I just want to encourage you to, to be as open to God's leading as possible and to pray. We're going to leave the, the altar available for personal prayer. And if you don't know what to pray, I would encourage you to, to come and kneel down and just say, God, I don't have a clue. Sometimes our act of saying that allows God to, to witness, to speak to us in powerful ways. I've also asked several families to be at the sides. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, but some families will, will pray over us, and that's, that's a way in which God speaks into us. So I'm going to ask the Daniel family and the Jacksons to be over there, and Landon's going to be over here, and the Brass family's going to be over here. If you would just stand and get in your places. You know, this, there's no... There's no set response. But again, you know how I, I feel that, that there is a necessary response according to God, how God leads you. So as we worship, let's stand and worship. Come to the altar and pray. Go ask for prayer. Be prayed over. Even if you don't know what you need, let's enter into this time of worship and prayer.